Hallelujah. Amen. Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God once again for this morning as we come together, worshiping Him in singing and worshiping Him in hearing the word as well. We continue looking at Philippians, um, our series on Philippians, and today we um, look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, and we're going to read until verse 18, um, A. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to verse 18, A, and the topic or title of uh, the sermon today is Seeing Trials Through a Gospel Lens. Seeing Trials Through a Gospel Lens. Let me read from Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 to 18 and we'll continue on today <clears throat> I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The later do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I will rejoice. And this is the word of God. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, take your word today planted deep in us, shape and fashion us, conform us in your ways. Thrill us, Lord, drill us and skill us with your word, that we may be those who are equipped, those who are matured in the faith, those who know your will, those who continue to rejoice in you at all times. Use your word this morning to bring us to yourself. Give us understanding. Give us hearts that are humble that will receive your word. We pray that you work in our hearts. Help me, Lord, even as I declare your word this morning, that you will be glorified. Protect me from error and protect your children from error as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray all this. Amen. Seeing trials through a gospel lens. William Cooper, in his most famous hymn, writes the word that have since been stamped in my mind. I remember the very first time I heard that hymn, when I heard those words, the words have been in my mind ever since. And here are the words. This is what he says. God moves in a mysterious way. 
his wonders to perform. The idea of God moving in a mysterious way means that God is always acting. He's always moving and always doing. He uses different circumstances and situations in our lives to carry out his ultimate plans to bring him glory and that eventually works out for our good. But at the moment of his acting, at the moment of his doing and, and his moving, although he does so in, in wisdom, in, in his wisdom, to us, it is a mystery. Amid that difficult situation you may be going through, trying to understand so much, trying so much to understand it, wishing that your why questions could be answered. It is a mystery to you, but not to God. The tendency usually when we go through difficult moments of life is to question the goodness, wisdom, care, and presence of God. Although we do not say it out loud, we, we, we also think that we can do this God thing better than God. We think that if we were given a chance to, to be God, for a moment, we would do a better job. We feel a sense of entitlement, as if to say, because I'm a Christian, because I live a morally up, upright life, I attend all the church services, I tithe my salary faithfully and, and serve in the church. Therefore, God owes me a smooth, pain-free life. It's a kind of, I scratch your back, God, with these good deeds. And you, God, you must scratch my back with this smooth, pain-free life. I've come, I've come to understand and learn through experience through observation and through the testimony of scripture uh, that the initial default of every human being to, to painful trials is a desire for momentary relief. We run from pain as a cat runs from water. The Apostle Paul himself considered one of the greatest Christians to ever live on the face of the, the world. When God sent him a thorn in the flesh, it is uh, debated as to the identity, what the identity of the, the thorn that the Apostle Paul had, that God sent him. Uh, people are saying it's sickness or it's, it's someone who is persecuting him or it's, it's, it's something else. We, we do not know uh, for sure what the thorn in the flesh was. But we know one thing about it. We know that the thorn in the flesh was painful. It was something that was pain. And in response to the pain, the first thing he prayed for was for God to remove the thorn. And he went on to pray this three times. In answer to Paul's prayer, the Lord says to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, listen to this. The Lord says to Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And with this, Paul continues to say, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's perspective on painful trials was totally transformed. He, he saw God as being for him and, and working through those trials for his glory and Paul's good. He started to see trials through a gospel lens. And it's very important that we wear these gospel lenses as we view hardships in our lives, as we view trials in our lives. And I'm persuaded that this idea is what gave him confidence in the midst of, of the trials that he faced in his Christian life. We, we see this clearly as he explains his situation to the Philippians. As, as we deal with this passage in Philippians chapter 1 to 12, I want you to, to have two ideas in your mind as we deal with this passage. I want these two ideas to be ideas that are, what do you call, that are, are stamped in, in, your, in your mind, that are, are etched in, in your heart. First, the presence of pain in our lives does not mean the absence of God. It does not mean, again, the disfavor of God. It does not mean that God is not favoring you anymore. That's the first thing I need you to have in mind. Secondly, pain in the hands of God is not like pain in the hands of an aggressor. Pain in... Uh, 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 all that the aggressor wants to do is to destroy, right? When he brings pain. All that he wants to do is destroy. But pain in the hands of God is for the building, for the strengthening of his children. These ideas I want you to have in mind. Here in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 and following, Paul starts to deal with different matters that he wanted to address in the church in Philippi. And so he also wants to update, him, update them about his condition. We know that this was the way letters were written in the first century um, in, in, in the Greco-Roman um, world. First, the writer would write and introduce himself. Then he would um, give a thanksgiving. Then uh, this is what Paul has done, thanksgiving and prayer. Then he goes into matters that he wants to address. And as we look at this passage, I want us to see three perspectives to develop on trials so that we may learn to trust in God when we go through them. Three perspectives to develop on trials so that we may learn to trust in God when we go through them. First is trials, bring, pr trials provide new opportunities for ministry. Secondly, trials encourage the weak to witness. Thirdly, trials cause many to preach. Let us look at the first one, the first perspective. Trials provide new opportunities for ministry. Verses 12 and 13. Listen to what Paul says. His opening statement. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened 
to me has really served to advance the gospel. When the Philippians heard that Paul had been arrested in Rome, their, 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 their reaction was probably one of dismay and, and disappointment. They thought that Paul's involvement in preaching the gospel, which in their minds, his arrest meant, his arrest meant that his gospel ministry had ceased to be. He, he was behind bars. There are no more opportunities for the gospel anymore. J. Vernon McGee suggests the, the, the background for, for Paul's comments in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to, to 18. He says, Paul is speaking very emphatically to them. When, when the believers in Philippi heard that Paul was in prison, they sent a message to him by their pastor, Epaphroditus. And it, it probably went something like this. Oh, poor brother Paul, we feel so sorry for you. Now your great missionary journeys are curtailed. You are in prison and the gospel is not going out. Paul said to them in response, Look, I want you to know that the gospel is going out. And the things that have happened to me have not curtailed, but have actually feathered the gospel. This, is, this was Paul's idea. He, he wanted to let them know that his imprisonment did not hinder the progress of the gospel, but it only feathered it. Remember the idea that Paul brought to Timothy when he was also in jail again. When Paul was in jail in Rome again, he writes to Timothy his last letter, and this time Paul is going to die. He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to these words. He says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ when you are in trials, when you are in difficulty. Paul, uh, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. When you are fearing, remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But listen to the last words. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. So this is Paul's idea. He wants to let these people know, though I am bound in chains, the word of God is not bound. The word of God continues to go out. Paul did not see his arrest as a hindrance of the gospel, but rather as an advancement of the gospel. Although it has, been, it has to be admitted that Paul's plan to preach the gospel in Rome did not involve imprisonment in his mind. Even though he was aware that it could lead to that. But, but he did not have it in his plans. He planned to go into Rome as a preacher, as an evangelist. But he went in as a prisoner instead. He, would, he, he could agree with William Cooper when he says, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. Paul wanted to reach Rome with the gospel. God wanted Paul to reach Rome with the gospel. Paul's plan was to go into Rome as a free man. But God's plan was for him to enter Rome as a prisoner. God's plan prevailed. God says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, listen to these words. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. 
declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, as Christians, we must know and acknowledge that God is the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. We must, take, we must make it our aim to seek above all God's thoughts and God's ways. Unless we acknowledge this, we, we won't know how to handle disappointment in our lives. Right? Unless we see God as being the master of our fate, as the captain of our soul, we, we won't know how to handle disappointment. Uh, this is a theology of the lordship of Christ. It means that my life belongs to Christ. It, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. He, his plans have a priority over my plans. I can make plans, but God's plans are a priority. If God decides to change my plans, God's plans must prevail. Imagine if Paul did not acknowledge this. If he sat in the prison cell questioning the goodness and love of God. If, if he did that, he would have missed opportunities for ministry that God had laid before him. But he knew God's plan must prevail. And God's plan did prevail. So he says to the Philippians, what has happened to me did not defeat the cause of the gospel, but rather it advanced it. He explains further in verse 13 how, this, how his imprisonment served to advance the gospel. Listen to what he says. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, my imprisonment made it possible to reach people that could have otherwise not been reached under normal circumstances. Cantus explains the issue of Paul being arrested um, in the imperial guard. He says this, he says, the imperial guard that, or, or the praetorium consisted of 9,000 hand-picked 9, hand soldiers who were honored with double pay good pensions and special duties. Among their not-so-special duties was, was that of guarding imperial prisoners by an attached chain. So, let me explain this a bit. So these, these, these imperial soldiers would be chained to an imperial prisoner so that he does not escape. For this was, these were, were six-hour shifts. So there were 9,000 of them. Every six hours, they were being changed, chained to Paul. So Paul experienced a shuffle of soldiers that were chained to him. Certainly, few of those 9,000 praetorium were chained to Paul. But the gospel effect was exponential. As, as soldier after soldier was chained to him in successive, successive watches, they, they heard the gospel both directly and from Paul's conversation with his visitors. They had no, no, 
No choice but to hear the gospel. They chained him. The only thing that they forgot to do was close his mouth. His mouth was open to declare the truth of God. The people who, were, who would otherwise not hear the gospel had opportunity to hear the gospel. They had Paul speak about a savior who was predicted in the Old Testament. They, they, they heard about how sin had separated men from God. They heard about the wrath of God that will come down on men because of sin. They heard about the fact that there is no hope outside of God. That there is no hope besides God. That God is the hope of the world. They heard these very truths from the mouth of Paul. They heard about Jesus who is the perfect sacrifice. And that through his death on the cross, his resurrection, his resurrection, forgiveness for sinners is offered to everyone who repents. They heard all these glorious truths as Paul was declaring the gospel to them, telling them about a Jesus who saves, a Jesus who is Lord, a Jesus who died and defeated death, who rose again and is seated at the right hand of God, a Jesus who reigns on high, a Jesus who will come back to fetch his church. They heard about this Jesus. Every hour they heard about him. A soldier to soldier was chained to his hand. They only heard about Jesus. They had the gospel declared to them. There was no way that they could not hear the gospel. They had to hear the gospel. I can imagine soldier... Uh, uh, getting out of his shift and, and, and another soldier coming to him going to Paul and saying how was it? He said ah, that man can't stop talking about a man called Jesus. He always wanted to speak about Jesus. Jesus was his theme. Just like that song, my heart was saying no other name but Jesus. It was Paul's life. It was clear as well that many came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. As Paul writes this letter, turn to chapter 4, verse 21 to 22. Listen to Paul, his conclusion and his greeting. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. Listen to those words. All the saints greet you, right? Especially who? Those of Caesar's household. <laughs> my goodness. Paul says, my imprisonment was not in vain. Those of Caesar's household came to be known as saints. They, they, they came to be known as brothers. I can imagine one soldier who came to Christ, who is chained to Paul, and say, Paul, greet them on my behalf. Especially those of Caesar's household. Those who are confined in Caesar's environment and cannot otherwise hear the gospel. 
Paul says these ones have become saints. Imagine how many opportunities he could have lost if all he did was spend time lamenting or complaining about his hardships. Oh, that the soldiers who were chained to Paul would have gotten, all that they would have gotten is that Paul's God is not good. Paul's God would forsake you at your worst. Paul's God would leave you in your hardships. That is all that I have gotten because of what, what, he would, what would he be doing? He would be complaining, complaining about this God. He said, I, I, I thought I was serving a good God. Look at me. I'm in chains. That is all that they would have gotten. They would sin a face, a countenance that was always down. A, a, a countenance that was always discouraged. But Paul proclaimed the gospel. He would have lost many opportunities if all he did was lament. All he did was complain. I remember when I visit people in, in hospitals, some of the Christians, especially the older ones, even Auntie Amber, I remember visiting her in hospital. As we all know, her health is not at its best. But I was encouraged when she said, and these words have really been words that have, that have encouraged me and kept me. She said that her situation has turned out to be a gospel opportunity. You know, you know when, you, when you visit someone in hospital and, and you want to be the one encouraging them and you, are, you, you come back and you are the one encouraged. You, you are the one strengthened. On the other hand, I've also seen some people in the very same situation and all they did was complain. All they did was lose faith in the Lord. And gospel opportunities were lost. So the perspective we must develop in seeing trials must be through a gospel lens. First, we must know that trials we must know that trials provide new opportunities for ministry. Secondly, trials encourage the weak to witness. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Our response to, to trying times can either be an encouragement to the weak or it, or it can be a discouragement. Paul responded by trusting in the wisdom of God in his life and, and this turned out to be an encouragement to other Christians. Notice the effect his imprisonment had on other believers. He said, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Uh, due to persecution, 
a lot of people here tended to keep their faith to themselves and, and to draw away from public life as much as they could. Out of fear of being persecuted, they lived their faith in secret. What I imagine is that when they heard about the Apostle Paul's imprisonment, they were even more terrified. Their most trusted fellow who contended for the gospel, they thought that he himself would break under such persecution, that he would lose his faith, that he would give up and be in despair. But instead, they saw a man whose joy in the Lord was still intact. A man who continued to win souls for Christ and his continued confidence in the Lord strengthened and encouraged them. It became an impetus for them to be confident in the Lord. He says, most brothers. You could tell that most brothers in the church were weak and they were afraid and, and they were hiding and, 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 and drawing away from public life because of persecution. In other words, it was, it was the, the majority of Christians, many believers. He says, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, my trial, the way I responded to my trial, gave confidence to people. They had confidence in the Lord. And they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They started to see the importance of the gospel, the need for sinners to know Christ as Lord and Savior. The word speak here does not necessarily mean preach. Rather, it means everyday conversation. It does not mean that they stood on street corners in Rome and, and started to declare with loud voices that Jesus is Lord. They did not just they did not start to do that. But they began to speak boldly about Jesus. They began to witness about Jesus. Uh, have you wondered, have you wondered why Christianity is stronger in countries that is where it is opposed the most? Have you wondered why is, is Christianity not being extinct in those places? I mean, I remember reading about North Korea, North Korea. I remember reading about North Korea like in, in 2014 that 19 Christians were executed in one day. 19 Christians executed one day for just believing in Jesus you're executed. I, I, I wondered how, how that can be a discouragement to other Christians and they would leave it behind and say this thing will result in my death. I'm leaving it. But what happens? It continues to grow. Strength to strength. And these believers have been emboldened by other believers who have stood confident in Christ, even in the face of death. These believers have seen their brothers and sisters in Christ being executed. Here, there's no time to be a traditional Christian. 
to be a Christian just because I grew up in a Christian home. These people were committed, are committed to Christ. There's no time for a fake Christian. For someone to be a Christian just for the fact of, of putting it on the CV that I'm a Christian, but at, 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 at work you are acting just like everybody else. They are bold in Christ because of what they see every day. They live in the face of danger, but they don't forsake their faith. And that is why, even though they are being killed in numbers, Christianity is spreading like wildfire. My desire is that it will grow even in our time as well. Where we, we can worship in, in, in public, in the open. That we will grow from strength to strength. That when we suffer, it will not be, it will not result in losing our faith, but it will result in us being bold in Christ. Continuing in Christ. And that being a ripple effect that causes other Christians who are weak to be bold and speak for Christ. Amen? So firstly, this perspective that we need to have is that it creates opportunities for, for ministry. Secondly, it causes the weak to witness. Thirdly, trials. This is the perspective that we have. Trials may cause, trials cause many to preach. Verses 15 to 18. Look at, listen to what Paul says. This is one of the parts I... I, I I found hard to understand and, and found hard to even understand Paul. To say, what a man. Oh, what a man he was. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. They later do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, but not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Paul was a successful preacher of the gospel in terms of his exploits in winning souls. And in the process of, of, of doing that, he had a lot of people that were against him. People in, in if if we were to put it in, in modern terms, were jealous of his success in ministry. And the most unfortunate part of it is that they were also Christian. Here he speaks about two groups of people. The first group are those who preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And the second group are those who preach the gospel out of love. In verse 16 he says, the later, the later, do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Uh, they, they loved Paul, and I'm sure some had not met him, but they heard about him. They heard his testimony about a man 
who went from uh, region to region proclaiming the gospel and planting churches. They, they, they loved him and they, they supported him. And when he was arrested, they did not rejoice in his pain and affliction. When Paul made converts in prison, they continued out of love to make, prison, to make converts out of prison. They continued to preach the gospel. They continued knowing that Paul was arrested for the defense of the gospel. They continued to defend the gospel as well. But Paul focuses on these ones who are doing it out of envy and rivalry. He explains in verse 17, he says, The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. The question is, who are these people? First, first of all, these people are not to be thought of as false teachers. They were preaching the true gospel. They were preaching the true Christ, the biblical Christ. We know Paul's attitude towards the uh, false doctrine, right? Remember his letter to the Galatians that anyone who preaches a different gospel, may he be accursed, anathema to him. Paul, had a, we know his attitude. Now, now here he's talking about people who are declaring the true gospel. People who are teaching the biblical Christ. The error was in their motives, but not in their doctrine. Do, do we see the difference? The error was in the motive, not in the doctrine. It, it is possible to do good things with evil motives. It, it is possible to do things that are good to, 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 to people who are looking at you. But inside, it's hypocrisy. Inside, it's evil motives. It's motives that are not pleasing to God. God will not judge the actions of man. God will judge the motives of man. Because even good deeds can take you to hell. It is not the good deed. It is the motive that takes you to hell. Secondly, most probably they were Christians. Paul does not question their salvation in any way when he refers to them. He speaks to them about them as others. And in this case, when you look at the, the, the logical progression of um, his, 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 his flow of thought, they could very well be Christian. These people were envious against Paul. They did not celebrate how the Lord had used him in his gospel ministry. John of the Cross explains envy in this way. Listen to this. He says, as far as envy is concerned, many experience displeasure when they see others in possession of spiritual goods. They feel sensibly hurt because others surpass them on this road. And they resent it when others are praised. When Paul was succeeding in the work of the Lord, instead of celebrating what he was doing, instead of celebrating how the Lord was using him, they were envious. They were against Paul. 
Kent Hughes says Paul had come to Rome with a long list of ministerial successes to his credit. Notwithstanding his unimpressive appearance, the gifts Paul possessed were immense, unique apostolic endowments. He had taken the gospel to Asia Minor and on into Europe, fighting Judaizers and heretics all the way, and had won. When Paul arrived in Rome, the focus of the church turned naturally to the apostle. And some of the leadership turned green with envy and began a contentious gospel rivalry. That is the most vain thing people can ever do to compete with the gospel. That is why Paul will continue to speak against that as he speaks to this church. He will speak for unity. He will speak for one mind. This group of people, instead of seeing Paul as a fellow worker, fellow worker in the gospel, they saw him as a rival. They, they wanted to outdo him instead of partner with him. What's worse is that when they heard that Paul was in prison, they devised a plan to make his imprisonment even more unpleasant. Paul says, they preached thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Think about it. How would Paul be afflicted when they preach? Their motive was to afflict him. This is how it would work. Christianity in Rome was an illegal religion. So when these people are standing on the street declaring the gospel, they are, they are in a way bringing destabilization in Rome. And, and people are getting angry. And Caesar might hear about it. When Caesar asked, what is all this commotion about? What is happening? They would say, those are the people that are preaching the same message as Paul. And what would he do? He would increase the pain of Paul's chains. An evil motive with a good message. What's important here, though, is Paul's response in verse 18. Listen to Paul. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, God is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. <laughs> Paul, instead of fighting these people, of going against them, of using his power as an apostle, writing letters for the church to excommunicate these people, he says, whether in pretense or in truth, I rejoice because Christ is proclaimed. People are being saved. I remember a story about Charles Spurgeon and a pastor across the road. The churches were not far from each other. Charles Spurgeon did not agree with that pastor on one point and he stood on the pulpit one Sunday and he spoke and lambasted and lashed at, his pa and lashed at that pastor on his pulpit. We know that uh, Spurgeon's sermons were usually printed and, 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 and uh, um, distributed in the city. That pastor read the sermon and, and, and uh, that Sunday, instead of that pastor responding as well by lashing at Spurgeon and lambasting him, he stands on his pulpit and said, Brother Spurgeon has a children's home. Let us take time 
to take offering and send to the church. Don't you think that will be humbling? Paul does not respond by fighting to these, with these people. He rejoices that the gospel is rather preached. And I rejoice in that. We see the joy of Paul. We see that he was a man who was consumed with the gospel. John MacArthur explains this point by writing, in other words, if the cause of Christ was being served, even in pretense by those envious distractors, he was glad. Although the distractors' motive was not primarily to exalt Christ or win souls, but to exalt themselves at Paul's expense, he was not bitter. He knew that, although, although he did not honor those, he knew that although God did not honor those who preached the truth out of pretense, the sovereign God nevertheless honored their message when Christ was being proclaimed. That really great, that, that greatly pleased Paul. You see, the reason Paul could respond in this way is that he put Christ as the center of his life. The gospel for Paul was not one of those things that he ticked off his to-do list. Right? It was not on his to-do list. It defined his life. Christ was his all, and he made it his mission to make him known, even if that meant going through hardships. I wonder if that is you. If the gospel is your all, if you're making Christ the center of your life, if you say, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I will trust in God even though he moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform let us pray thank you lord thank you for your word and the gospel that saved us may we have hearts of god that live in light of what you've done for us. See everything in light of what you've done for us. See your goodness even in the midst of hardship, calamity, pain, difficulty, trial. See your wisdom, your goodness, your love, your care for us. And the fact that you move in a mysterious way, you want us to perform. May our hearts trust in you always. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.